Good morning, everybody. Please turn in your Bibles to the last book, chapter 3, the book of Revelation, the book more properly titled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we are going to hear some words today from Jesus Christ, revelation of truth from Jesus, right here in the book that has his name in the title, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I know it may sound like semantics, but if you authored a book, wouldn't you like for that book to be known by the title you gave it? and not by some nickname or shortened version of it. Such is the respect we must approach the Word of God with. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, says unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We ask that today we would hear not only your word, but we would hear and receive its application to our personal lives and our corporate lives as a congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write. To the leader of the church in Sardis, write. Today is the last of seven sermons we have preached from these Revelation letters from Jesus Christ to seven specific congregations. Each of these letters, uh, while applying them to my heart, rang true and resonated with my own being, resulting in a question that was asked of me by the Lord that I have asked you. We've looked hard, we've looked deep, and we've searched inner recesses of our heart. Questions like, are you who you say you really are? And I shared with you the day when I discovered I had become a part-time Christian while being a full-time preacher. And out of that heartbreak is actually how this uh, series called Seven was born. For it was in that first letter that we looked at, the letter to the Laodiceans, where They said that they were rich, they were increased with goods, they were this, they were that. And the Lord says, you aren't any of those things. They were not who they say they were. And in my own walk, I said I was a full-time Christian and a part-time 
minister, but it had somehow over the years and time got reversed. And so it's out of my own heartbreak and soul search that this series was born. We've looked at questions like, are you almost devoted? And looked how absurd it is to do anything almost. To almost pass a class is not good enough. You've flunked. To almost not have a wreck means you had a wreck. To almost have enough gasoline to make it to the station to refuel means you ran out of fuel. Yet when it comes to the things of God, many times we think almost is pleasing to the Lord. Now we know the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all almost not fallen. We've all fallen. Thank God for his mercy and grace. But as we grow in him, as becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, We've got to see almost for it what it is. It really is an excuse for being a slacker. God's calling us to wholehearted devotion. Last time I spoke on these from these letters, it was a sixth sermon. It was a hard question. Are you allowing a place in your heart for evil? Today's question is not so inward looking as it is outward looking. It's a very outward looking question. But before we get there, let's look at the actual letter. To the church in Sardis, or to the angel of the church in Sardis, right. Sardis was a very luxurious community that was in a state of spiritual decay. Uh, author Ramsey called it the city of death. While being comfortable, they did not notice the erosion of morals, value, and even physical erosion going on around them. And to this church, he had these things to say. Meanwhile, he introduces himself to these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we know from chapter one, the seven stars are these seven messengers stationed at each of these seven churches. But what is the seven spirits of God? What is this? We know God is one. There's only one God expressed as father, son and Holy Spirit understood through those uh, personas, those expressions of himself. The Holy Spirit is a he, by the way. He is not an it. Jesus referred to him in the third person. He will lead and guide you into all truth. There is one God yet yet understood in three ways that he deals with us. It's as though he has three personalities, three unique aspects to who he is. So what's the seven spirits of God? I believe this is more appropriately translated for the sake of of uh, not contradicting other truth. The New Living Translation actually translates as, as such as the sevenfold spirit of God. Um, the complete Jewish Bible uh, paraphrase translation done by David Stern also translates it as such. The sevenfold spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit. He is known to be like wind, rain, fire, oil, light. He's a spirit of light. He brings power and he has authority. Seven. There's other ways you can look at the Holy Spirit as sevens. He is the spirit of truth. He is the spirit of Christ. He is the teacher that Jesus said he would be. He is... The comforter, Jesus said he would be. He is the guide that he said he would be. 
He is the one who baptizes us into the body of Christ when we uh, are converted. And he is the great convictor in the earth of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is the sevenfold spirit of God that Jesus has. He pours out the Holy Spirit. And so this awesome Jesus is saying something here to us to take heed. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. That's going to be our text this morning. You have a name that you're alive, but you are dead. There was a church in Glenrose a few years ago known as Church Alive. Uh, but for one reason or the other, it no longer exists. It was shut down. But for the longest time, it was in the phone book and in the newspaper as though it was still alive. It had a name, Church Alive. That's a great name, but it didn't exist. This is basically what Christ is saying to the church in Sardis here. Be watchful, verse 2, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. The word for perfect means complete. There's an incompleteness. Um, the word integrity speaks of being complete, being whole. If armor had integrity, it, it could protect its wearer. It didn't have cracks or holes in it. It was whole. Integritas was something that they would say in the Roman Empire when they beat their chest and saluted um, before they got into the Hill Caesar business. I think it was integritas that they said. Integrity speaks of wholeness. So the church here was lacking some integrity. Now here's something I love about the Lord that is unlike a lot of spouses. He says, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect or complete before God. He acknowledges they have some things that are still going on that are worthy of redeeming and not to let them die. You know, some spouses um, can spend some time together and have a great day, and then before the day's over, one wrong thing happens, one offensive statement, uh, one wrong act, one peculiar expression, and the whole day is ruined. It's like all the points accumulated or lost by one goof up. Well, Jesus doesn't work like that. He grows us from where we are. It's precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And so he acknowledges the good that this church had, that they were not to allow to die, and they were to add to that, to become people of integrity and complete, complete wholeness. Verse 3, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Remember how you got saved. Remember where you started out. I remember Paul told the church in Galatia, how is it that you've begun uh, well by the hearing of faith and now you're going to get into depending on your works. Remember how you started out in this thing. Therefore, if you will not watch, if you won't do this, what I'm telling you, I will come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Coming as a thief, to me, speaks of two things. One, it speaks of secrecy. You don't know when the thief is coming. If you did know, you could keep him from coming, right? And also, thieves come into your house to take stuff. And in 
the letter to the church of Pergamos, Jesus said, I'm coming. I'm coming after you with the sword of my mouth to speak against them. The church in Ephesus, he said, I'm coming. I'm coming upon you to take my candlestick from your midst if you don't repent. Each church that these letters were addressed to had a candlestick. What is the candlestick? I don't know. I think it's a symbol of God's presence, God's favor, God's purpose. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to belong to a church where the Lord has removed his candlestick. If that happens, we need to shut the doors. There's enough dead religion going on where Jesus is long gone. Meanwhile, they're still setting up shop, pretending that he's there. I want the reality of the candlestick of the Lord in our midst. Amen. Verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He's acknowledging that in their midst are a few people walking in obedience and integrity, a few people that are pleasing him, and they will not go unrewarded. Now, none of us are worthy in ourselves of salvation. And when we're saved, the Lord imputes to us or accredits to us his very own righteousness. But as we grow in him, we are to begin to walk in our lives in such a way that reflects the righteousness that he's given to us. And those who do will reward, will be rewarded. And this is the, this, these are the rewards, rewards that we can be made worthy of. Now, the seriousness of this matter is is seen in verse 3 again. Remember, therefore, have you received and heard, hold fast and repent. The tense of the word repent means immediately. Do this now. Do not delay. Immediately repent. Otherwise, I'm coming quickly. But there are those in your midst who are doing well, and they're not going to lose a reward. Verse 5, he who overcomes, here's the promise. You abide by this letter, shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who overcomes will be clothed in white garments. In Judaism was a practice, certain streams of Judaism, where priests that were found to have some vice in their life had their white garments removed and they were clothed in black garments and had to leave the order that they were part of. But those who walked free of any vice found to be vice-free, were clothed in white. The book of Revelation tells us that we are kings and priests. A priest is someone who ministers to God on behalf of people and ministers to people on behalf of God. And that's what we do. In sharing God's word, we are functioning as priests. In praying prayers of intercession, we are functioning as priests, taking the place of the people with needs, and approaching the throne of grace, asking for God's help in their time of need. And we are promised to be clothed in white garments. The book of life, some believe, is a book that our name is written in when we're saved. And it's also believed by others that it's a book that everybody's name is written in. And those who are not saved prior to the judgment day will have their name blotted out. I want to encourage you today. The Lord Jesus is not waiting with an eraser, daring you to do something wrong so he can remove your name from the book of life. He does not want to remove any names. So there is security in that. Yet the Bible does promise us that all liars 
all thieves, all fornicators, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. Those who desire to be saved, but yet to make a lifestyle out of their sin, where they could rightfully be called a liar or a thief because they have not turned from their sin and walked in the life-changing power of Jesus, they are not saved. They have no security. But that believer who's seeking to follow the Lord with all his with all his might, as the Lord enables him, should he stumble, the Lord's not going to remove their name from the book of life. The Lord's going to help them get back up and overcome that sin. They may stumble more than once, but who knows? God is merciful. Eventually, as his grace is at work, that person comes to a place of strength over that thing. Thank God for the grace of God. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's anybody in here today who has an ear to hear the word of the Lord. We need to heed this because of what Jesus said. This verse 6 makes it applicable to us in our lives in these modern times. If we have ears to hear, we need to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Even in our day and in the past, what was the Spirit saying? And how does it apply today? Our question for us today comes from verse 1. These things says he who has the seven spirits of God or the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. David Stern, in his commentary, called the Jewish New Testament Commentary, said that this phrase, you have a name that you are alive but you are dead, describes people who support charitable works but have no spiritual connection with the living God. It goes on to say it describes people whose lack of faith in God and ignorance or rejection of Jesus produce dead religious formalism, social clubbiness, a fortress mentality defensiveness, and or pride in self-accomplishment. It describes people who try to fill their spiritual vacuums with sensual gratification. I think it is possible as spirit-filled people to get off track and begin to pursue spiritual experiences. Wanting to see angels or using cameras to look for orbs and getting ourselves off base, forgetting that, hey, this is all about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one whom we seek for a greater revelation of Jesus. You may have spiritual experiences in the process, but that is not our goal. Otherwise, we fall into sensuality and become a people that live by their feelings and not by faith. That is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. David Stern writes this phrase in describing this text. He said, it describes people who feel close to God or have correct theological doctrine, but they produce no evangelistic or social action fruit. From thence, I get the question for us today. Are you alive? Now, don't say yes too hurriedly. We have a name that we are alive. Christian means we're alive. Generations speaks of life. Are you alive? Signs of physical life involve cellular reproduction. 
which is how it is able to continue. Your body is alive because you eat, drink, sleep, and breathe, taking in what the body needs to replenish itself. For cells to be able to reproduce themselves, we need to take in these things for power. A sure cause and effect of death is when cells stop reproducing themselves. When cells reproduce, they die so that the new ones can live. Are you alive? Are you like the human cell reproducing itself and being willing to die in the process to see the life of Christ carried on in the lives of others? I'm talking about evangelism. I'm talking about something to repent of. The lack of evangelism. A sign of spiritual life is in the word continuation. To continue. Verse 2, he told them, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Continue. Continue. Don't die out. That's a sign of life. Spiritual life is also seen in reproduction. Verse 3. Remember how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Do you remember how you got saved? Who witnessed to you? What the seed, what, where, where the seeds were sown that later brought the harvest of your soul? It's amazing to me how unevangelistic Christians can become when they forget where the Lord found them. How quickly they can lose their lack of compassion for the lost and even to the point where they don't want to be around lost people. Well, I'm not going to work here anymore. There's too many unbelievers here, too many heathens or too many people who cuss or people who don't listen to the right kind of music or people who drink or do drugs or whatever. I don't want to be around that anymore. Jesus has saved me. I'm, you know, as though they're going to be contaminated. And if everybody was that way, you wouldn't have gotten saved. It's amazing to me how Christians suddenly have to go to bed super early because now they're saved. When serving the devil, they could be up till 2 in the morning, no problem. But now that they're believers, they've got to go to bed by 8 o'clock. Jesus came to give us life. He didn't come to take our life. He came to give us life and life more abundantly. But we're called to give our life for the sake of others. There's a certain self-centeredness that can prevent us from risking our necks and our reputations and even persecution so that we don't have to evangelize. Are you alive? If you are, evangelism will happen. Are you really alive? Are you reproducing yourself spiritually? Are you dying spiritually due to an unwillingness to give away your life? Jesus said those who seek to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will gain it. Are you blessing others, including unbelievers, with the blessings God has given you? You know, we're blessed to be a blessing. Let me ask you three questions. Why is the church still here on the earth? Why are we here? Evangelism. Another question. Why have we been given the Holy Spirit? Yes, to comfort us, to teach us, to guide us, to convict us, yet, But also to empower us to be a witness, yes. A third question. 
What were the last two things Jesus said before his ascension? It's recorded in four places. The first three deal with the first thing he said, which is a great commission, go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to observe everything that I commanded you, which would include that statement he just made, which is known as a great commission. Uh, that's the end of the book of Matthew, the end of the book of Mark. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick. They'll cast out devils. They'll take up servants. If they drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. And they went out and preached the word everywhere. And the Lord worked with them with signs and wonders following. Uh, the book of Luke ends with these words, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in Christ's name, beginning at Jerusalem to all the nations. So the Great Commission was one of the last things Jesus said. The other last thing he said is found in Acts, where he's telling them to wait on the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, chapter 1, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. So you see the priority of evangelism? It's why the church is still here. It's why we have the Holy Spirit. And it lines up with the last statements of Jesus before he left the earth. This church in Sardis was not being evangelistic, I guarantee you, on top of all the other things that we're letting drop. Are you alive? You know, as a pastor, I used to make the statement, uh, we've never tried to grow our church. We've just tried to keep it healthy so that uh, if we're healthy, then we'll grow. Well, there's something a little too laid back about that statement, and I'm in the process of repenting of that. Healthy churches will grow, but the point is, if churches don't grow, they're not healthy. We cannot be called a healthy church if all we do is have good services while edifying and serving one another without doing any reaching out evangelistically to our community. Saints, if we're not doing that, we're missing out. I know many of you do reaching out every week, and I commend that. I applaud that. But there's many of us that do not. In fact, statistics tell us that over 90% of America's evangelical Christians are not really evangelical. They've never told anyone about Jesus that's not heard about him. They've never led anyone to Christ. If that's the state in you, I'm calling you to repentance today, and I'm telling you, stick with us. That is going to change this year in Jesus' name. Amen? going to change look at this picture this is an odd little couple here in our community that make up these signboards and hold them up for passer buyers to pass by and i'm sure people stop and give them donations if you ever talk to them their theology is way out there but this particular day i loved this sign and i took a picture of it it says the bridegroom is coming but the bride isn't ready who would agree with that statement the church is the bride of christ and jesus is the bridegroom and he's returning but is the church ready for his return yet i want us to take a fresh look at that you know looking at that you would think yes there's sin in the church yes we need to repent and remind you for the last couple months we have been doing some deep repenting around here if you haven't, you've, you've not been getting the point that we're trying to get across here. 
Christ has called us to work in purity. Jesus is not coming after a bride without with, with spots and wrinkles. He's coming after a pure bride, a bride that's been washed in the word without spot or wrinkle. But there's another aspect of a bride being ready. Upon my own reflection, I remember our daughter a few years ago was engaged to be married to a fine young man who was ready to be engaged. His proposal was phenomenal. He jumped through all the right hoops. Uh, the engagement party was incredible. And it was all filmed, put on, videotaped. He, was, he, was a, he is a great friend to our family still. He is quite the producer. He submitted video of everything that he'd done to Oprah Winfrey's search for the world's most romantic man, and he won runner-up. But like any parents, we prayed for our daughter, Lord, please don't let there be any mistakes here. And the day came when it became obvious to her and he, he was not ready to be a bridegroom. The bride was ready. And the bridegroom was ready to be engaged, but he was not ready to be a husband. So the engagement was broken off. In this case, the bridegroom is coming, but the bride is not ready. I think when a bride is ready to be married, she will be telling all of her friends about her bridegroom. If she's fortunate enough to have a bridegroom with good credit, she'll have a ring to show. The bridegroom will be telling everyone he knows about the girl he's about to marry. There's no shame, no ultra-privacy here. I'm engaged. I'm going to marry the girl of my dreams. I think, I think the church that is ready for the bridegroom's return is a church that is telling everybody it can about him. Are you ready for his return? If you are, then let's tell everybody we know about Jesus. Can we pray? Almighty God, I pray that you'd make an evangelistic church out of us. Lord, our vision statement is to know you and to make you known to this generation and beyond in real time. And Lord, we've been highly, highly focused on knowing you, emphasizing worship, but now, Lord, we're going to bring some balance into this house, God. We want to emphasize evangelism. We appreciate the fact of knowing you, which is where our eternal life is. But we realize our calling is beyond knowing you, but to make you known so that others can know you. Bringing others into the benefit of knowing you. Give us wisdom, Lord, to change everything in this church that needs to be changed, God, so that we can line up with your will perfectly in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for worship. I thank you, Lord, for fellowship. I thank you, Lord, for the, the discipleship that happens here. But, Lord, we pray that we would become an evangelistic ship, sailing the waters where none have gone before, to let your truth be heard around the world and in this city, to the poor and to those who are poor spiritually. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to make him known to you right now. The Bible declares that he is the son of God and he lived a perfect life for 30 years. And then he began a public ministry and made followers out of 
certain people who are willing to follow him and leave all, and taught them and ministered throughout the the Israeli region for three and a half years. And because he declared himself to be the Son of God, they sought to put an end to him and killed him. But because he was innocent and unworthy of death, having never sinned, God the Father saw that death as unjust as it was, as the opportunity for us to receive the benefits of that death. Because his death was not his to receive, it is now made available to all those who are worthy of death. I don't care how evil you have been. You can be forgiven of your sins because Jesus Christ died for the sins of others, starting with the very ones who crucified him. And if you will believe in him, you can be freed from your sins. The Bible says that he, history says that he lived, that he was real. And that there was an empty tomb. And the Bible says he showed himself to be alive for 40 days before ascending to heaven and promising to return one day, which we are waiting on the fulfillment of that promise. If you're here today, separated from God, you can be reunited with God because his son took your place and was killed unjustly. But then, glory be to God, he arose from the dead making his death a gift to give to those who deserve to die. Maybe you're not so bad as to deserve to die, but you know what? You are separated from God, and that is a form of dying. And Jesus experienced separation from his life and even from his father, if not before a moment when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today is a day for you to receive the benefits of that. If you find yourself beginning to believe what I'm saying, as far-fetched as it may sound, that is saving faith beginning to dawn in your heart. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and that he rose from the dead, then why not? Step out of your boat of unbelief and walk on the waters of faith and say, I believe. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins and make me yours. If you want to do that today, be sure and talk to someone before you leave this building. I would love to talk to you before you leave. I'm going to be out in the foyer after the service. Be sure and come up to me and we'll pray together and make that confession unto salvation as promised by Romans chapter 10. All right, believers, I want to challenge you to reach out to one person. Who will reach out to one person this week and talk to them about their relationship with God? I'm going to make it easy on you just to get you started. I have here 100 copies of a little book entitled Rethink Church. It is a book written to those who used to go to church and won't go anymore. It addresses 10 of their excuses. If they look at this book, they don't have to read the whole thing. They can just look up their excuse and read it. It's very informative without being defensive and enjoyable reading without being too confrontational. Is there anyone here who knows someone who used to go to church and they don't go anymore? Just about everybody. All right, I need some men to come up here and help me. Help me pass these books out and... 
we'll do some reaching out this week. In each book is a little bookmark, an invitation. If you do not have a church to call home, we welcome you to worship God with us here at Generations, the place for all people of all ages. So feel free to come as you are. Our Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. At Generations, we know we do not have all the answers to life's questions, but we are seeking a close relationship with the one who we believe does and are sharing with others what we are learning. If you're looking for a Bible-believing, non-denominational church to call home, something like Generations may be the congregation for you. We take Christ's commands seriously and are endeavoring to live as he modeled and taught. So more than inviting them to church, let's address their excuses for not going to church. But before you give it to them, I encourage you to read it yourself. It takes about 20 minutes to read this little book, and then you're ready to talk to that person about their relationship with God and why they don't go to church. Church will not make you a Christian, but it is an ideal situation to meet the Lord because in church are several believers with different gift giftings. Here there's over a 100 believers who all have different giftings, and we all can minister in different ways that can meet the needs of our friends in ways that we cannot meet. So it's important to obey the scriptures that tell us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together the more often as we see the day of the Lord approaching. Let's stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God Almighty himself. Go out and evangelize and share Jesus. Are you alive? Yes, let's go bear fruit. Amen.